So in the Old Testament, we turn in the book of Psalms to uh, Psalm 67, the sermon text for this morning. So reading the whole of that psalm, God's holy and inspired word, give your attention to the reading of it, Psalm 67, God's word. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth is yielded its increase God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all of the ends of the earth fear him. That's for the reading of God's word. It's good to be with you all. I appreciate the opportunity that uh, your session has given to me to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to you and also to me, how we need him, how good it is to have him. And uh, you've heard the word already, Psalm 67, that will be the text for the message. And so uh, I won't read it just now, but we'll read some more of the verses along the way as we seek to hear the voice of Christ today. All righty. If you read newspapers, and some of us do, or if you take your news from uh, in the digital form, then you will be familiar with headlines. They're handy, aren't they? You can read a headline, you can learn what an article is about, and then decide whether or not you want to read the article. Washing machines and fridges could be much cheaper to power by 2027. That's a headline in a recent Washington Post. You may want to go back and read that article. You can look at the paper, and you can discover with a quick glance the subject of what might be a very interesting and important piece of writing. Biblical texts are like newspapers in some ways. They contain news. That's one thing they have in common. The difference is that the news in the Bible is always true. And if you take the whole Bible into account and you believe what the Bible says, then the news is always good news. The Post does not and cannot make that claim. Here's some of the good news. I know that you will rejoice when you hear it. 1 Corinthians 15.3, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is good news. How about Romans 10.13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the good news that God has published, and it's for the entire world. 
The Bible contains news that provides the only way for the peoples of the world to know God, to be right with God, and to worship God. Now, back to headlines. Sometimes texts from the Bible contain something similar to a headline, a brief statement that delivers the main theme of the passage. And Psalm 67 has that kind of statement. You might even call it a headline. But the headline is not at the head. It's actually in the middle. Because Psalm 67 is a particular kind of ancient writing that contains the theme of the psalm at its center. And then the other sentences in the psalm are arranged in a certain way to support the theme. And if you look carefully at Psalm 67, you will see it right away. And I invite you to do that. The beginning and the ending of the psalm have the same subject, don't they? Verses 1 and 2 is a prayer for God's blessing. Verses 6 and 7 is a statement of assurance that God's blessing will come. You see it? May God bless us, verses 1 and 2. God shall bless us, verses 6 and 7. I think you can see it. And among the blessings that God gives is a harvest, a farming harvest in verse 5, or verse 6 rather, and then a harvest of spiritual power in verse 2. And then as you work toward the center, you will see that verse 3 and verse 5 say the same thing. In fact, they say the same thing In the same words, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So the psalm proceeds from God's blessings to the very best response to those blessings, which is praise. And then finally, verse 4, the headline, let me read that to you. Here it is. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. God is worthy. He judges people perfectly and oversees all the doings of the nations, the very nations he is calling upon to worship him. God is worthy of praise, and the praise that he receives makes Worshippers, glad. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? The central concern of God in this psalm is that the nations would see him, would rejoice in him, and sing praise to him. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Now let's proceed with a very simple outline. Here it is. First, we have the blessings of God, that's verses 1 and 2, then again 6 and 7. The worship of God, verse 3, then verse 5, and then finally, the joy of the nations, the headline of the psalm, verse 4. And then there is a bonus thought that should interest us all. It's tucked into verse 2. We'll close with that and think a little bit about the mission of the church, of this church of God's worldwide church. So first, the blessings of God. Let me read these words to you again. 
May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Then down to verse 6. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. If you give this even slight attention, you can generate a long list of ways in which God has blessed you. I know that you can. Some of those blessings are material, and others are grounded more directly in gospel truths. And while all of God's blessings are similar, because they all emerge from God's grace, don't they? We deserve nothing. God has given us everything in life and in his Son. The shining face of God's favor rests upon us, to use the language of Psalm 67. While it is true that we have these many kinds of gifts, it is also good for us to distinguish them as we think of all the things that God has done for us. And I say that because all people receive a measure of what we sometimes call common grace. I think you may have heard that term. It's true. Rain falls on the just and the unjust. Family, work, health, friendship, daily bread. These are not the unique possessions of believers. As Christians, we have a particular worshipful response to those gifts. But the gifts themselves also come to people who do not believe. May God be gracious to us and bless us. It includes all of God's display of favor. Absolutely, surely it does. But mainly, it is God's redemptive gifts that we ought to have in view. They come from his saving power, as the psalm tells us. Let me ask a question. Is there an Old Testament text that comes to your mind as you hear about God's blessing delivered to the nations of the world? How about Genesis 12, for one? First three verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Can you imagine receiving that promise from the God of heaven? I will be blessed. Those who bless me will be blessed. The whole world will be blessed through me. Abram received this promise and he believed it. He later received further developments of the promise when God compared the extent of his family to the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And God fulfilled his promise. That is what God does. He makes promises 
and he keeps every promise he makes. He gave Jesus to the world, the son of Abraham, the son of God. And brothers and sisters of Escondido OPC, you belong to the families of the earth who have received the blessing promised to your father Abraham. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That's how Paul put it, Galatians 3, 29. And that blessing of knowing God through knowing Jesus extends throughout the globe to the nations, all nations, according to verse 2. The blessings that come from God include the call to give praise to God. What a blessing that is. And that is what we come to next from verses 3 and 5. It appears twice, but I'll read it just once at this moment. The worship of God, verse 3, verse 5, hear the words. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. When we say the words, let the peoples praise you, we are confessing at least Two things, that God is worthy to be worshipped, that's one, and that the world's peoples owe him the praise that he alone deserves. All peoples. There is no people group, and we can do no individual person who is exempt from the duty of worshipping God. And when we sing Psalm 67, which I believe you will This evening, when we sing Psalm 67, we are acknowledging this and making it the desire of our hearts that the world would come to know God and to worship God. That all the peoples of the world would come to see what you and I, by the grace of Jesus Christ, have come to see. The majesty of God. The love of God in Christ. The perfect justice of God. And the mercy of God. That the whole world would see that mercy and justice meet at the cross where Jesus loved his people by satisfying God's wrath with his very blood. We have come to see that God will favor us forever. That he has welcomed us into his family. An eternal family with a place in heaven prepared by Jesus himself. That he lives with us. That he lives in us in this present age. That he protects us from evil, provides for our needs. That we all, through Christ, have been given life, which as Jesus prayed it, is knowing the only true God and his son, Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. That's his prayer, John 17, 3. Is God worthy of your praise? Is he worthy of your prayers that the nations would come to know him and enjoy him and glorify him and worship him? This is what the peoples of the world are meant to do, to worship the one who made them. If missions is the call of God to a needy world, to beckon the world's people to enter into the joy of his praise through the reconciling work of his Son, 
If that is what Christian missions is, and that is precisely what Christian missions is, that to separate missions activity from divine worship does not work. It is to remove it from the center, from the heart of it all, which is God's desire for the people to praise him. That is what God wants. Now, here's a question. Is that what you want? Do you want God to be worshipped? Do you want God to have a bigger family? Do you believe that he is worthy of more praise coming from more worshippers? These are good questions. We all ought to ask them. I think that you all know that there are many peoples in this world that have not yet heard the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't know how this is calculated, but if the Joshua Project is right, then out of 17,000 people groups present in the world today, there remain 7,000 that have not yet been reached with the gospel of Christ. 7,000. Let all the peoples praise you. That would include the 7,000. And so we pray for the 7,000, along with all of the others who presently do have the blessing of a gospel witness among them. My only exposure to an unreached group was indirect. I became aware of a little community called the Ik, while I was in Uganda, an amazing place where my family lived as your missionaries for 11 years. Uh, But that's right, they were called the Ik, I-K, I don't know how else to pronounce it, the Ik people. This little group, 10,000 souls, lived within the region of Karamoja where we lived and had no gospel witness until some missionaries went there during the time when we lived nearby. 10,000 people with their own language, their own culture, their own history, their own migration story. I suppose the Ick officially became a reached people group around 12 years ago. At least a gospel testimony came to them in their own language at that time. But what about the others? It's hard to imagine populations in this world and at this time that have not yet heard the good news in their own language. But there are thousands of nations. Let them praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Make the nations the subjects of your prayers to the Lord. Now the headline, verse 4, joy to the nations. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. God wants the world to rejoice in him. He wants them to know him, 
to be happy that they know him, and to offer singing praise to the God who gives them joy. This is a really happy psalm, isn't it? You see it? But I thought Christians were dour and serious. Someone might say that. I thought that worship is orderly, predictable, boring, filled with liturgical elements and responses that just have to be said, not understood, not loved. I don't see a lot of smiling in a Christian worship service, someone might say. Do you wonder if the nations look at the church and think things like this? Order is good. Liturgy is good if used well as it is here. But shame on any Christian who enters the place of praise with anything less than deep, gospel-produced joy in the Holy Spirit. Pleasure at the thought of all that God has done for his people through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. If C.S. Lewis was right that joy is the serious business of heaven, then surely joy is the serious business of life with Jesus on earth, especially when the church comes together to praise him. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Opening words of Psalm 33. It befits. It makes sense. Joy and praise, they go together. It's fitting for them to be together in the hearts of God's people in their practice of worship. Can we really long for the nations to be glad if we are not so glad ourselves? It is the duty of nations to be glad in God. But why? Why should the nations be glad? How can the nations be glad? The nations will be glad when the God of creation becomes their God of salvation. A friend of mine, Anis Zaka, is an Egyptian brother and church elder. There may be some here who know him or have heard of him. He has a passion to see the nations come to Christ, particularly Muslim nations. I was with him a few years ago and watched him interact with some Muslim friends. He approached one of them and he said something that I will never forget. He gave his friend a big hug, and Anis could give big ones, big hug, and he said in the most tender, loving way, You are my brother in creation. I am praying that you become my brother in redemption. The friend did not seem to mind. I assume he had heard that before from Anis. But I love what he said. Don't you? The the world is filled with nation brothers and nation sisters in creation. We should not be slow to say it. Psalm 67 is calling the very same creation family to join the family of redemption. The family who can and must worship 
the true and living God of heaven, through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. There are times when it is hard to read the news in digital form or in print. The headlines are rough, and the news around our nation as well as around the globe is often not very good. But imagine reading the headlines in other nations where the gospel is more vigorously suppressed and Christians are more directly feeling the pains of persecution. Do you think about that much? Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Eritrea. These are the six most dangerous countries for Christians, according to Open Doors World Watch list. Is God calling those nations to be glad in him? Are they among the peoples contemplated in Psalm 67.3? Let all the peoples praise you, all of them. And so our hearts long. And we pray joy to the world. And we do so with the words of Adoniram Judson before us. The future is as bright as the promises of God. Now let me give you this bonus thought tucked into verse 2, and we'll think a little bit about our mission as God's people on earth. Let me read verses 1 and 2 again. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Here's a quick paraphrase. God bless us so that others will know you. Here's another way to put it. The mission of the church. Things that we can say about the mission of the church as we extract it from these couple of verses. Three components. Number one, it's a prayer for God's blessing. We've seen that already. We are to pray that God would bless us. It is a commitment to God's worship. That's the second thing. And then thirdly, this is really interesting, it is a call to the nations to see God's blessings as delivered to God's people and to join in the worship of God's name. Our mission is to make sure they know. God wants to bless you so that others will see it and want it and come to know and praise the God who gives the blessing. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. If you want God's way to be known, then you will want to receive God's favor and all the benefits that come with faith. You will want to be blessed. You will want to be seen as those who are blessed. And you will want others to come into the realm of blessing, which can only happen if Jesus is proclaimed and embraced by the world. May God bless us that your way may be known. One purpose 
of God's grace to you is to make you an instrument through which God delivers grace to the nations. What a holy privilege you have. There was a time in my early Christian life when I wrestled with the question of the church's mission, and I wondered if evangelism or worship should take priority in the church. I think many of us have asked that question. But I've come to see that that is a false choice. Evangelism is inviting the nations to worship God. The nations around the globe and the nations in our neighborhoods. It is a call to personal faith, that's true. But faith is practiced in a context. Congregational life and congregational praise. This congregation is a worshiping testimony of the grace of God that invites the world to come. Come, join the testimony. Join God's worshiping people. That's who you are. So let's never think that evangelism is one thing and worship is something that can come along later. No, God redeems people with a view toward receiving praise from them. John Piper famously put it this way, missions exists because worship doesn't. And maybe some of you have read his book on missions. He wrote it under the headline of Psalm 67, Let the Nations Be Glad. I have a memory of a church visit that took place during one of my furloughs. It was 2008, a long time ago, 14, 15 years ago. But a certain older minister was present, and he listened to the sermon. He listened to my report. Uh, he was in his 90s at the time. You would know the name if I gave, him to, gave it to you. He approached me after the service, and he said this. He said, Al, he said, I'm picturing you speaking to your Ugandan friends and saying, I have good news for you. He said, thank you, and he walked away. We have good news for the world. I have had the privilege of sharing it, and so have you. Let's all share and pray together for a global harvest of worshipers. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Joy to the world. Let's pray.